Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gittler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number four in our series for 2022, and today's date is Friday, February the 25th. First, I'll be talking to Jussi Karjalainen at Valtatech, which automates procurement operations for businesses. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest jobs figures. But now, let's hear from Jussi Karjalainen. Jussi, tell us about how Valtatech uh, future-proofs procurement procedures in businesses. Look, look, you know, before we dive into that, I think it's important we, we sort of understand what do we do as a company. So, so we work with, with, with chief procurement officers of, of, of sort of mid to large size organizations. And this, is, this goes across, you know, Asia Pacific, primarily, primarily sort of heads of procurement, heads of finance roles on a process uh, which exists on every company. This is how do they buy goods, services from their, uh, from their suppliers effectively. And so what, in essence, what we do is we help automate all that work the company has to do to, you know, set up contracts with those suppliers, negotiate prices with them, negotiate the product details, what, what sort of uh, goods or services they're purchasing, and, 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 and all the way to including the suppliers sending a company an invoice. Uh, at the end of that, obviously, value cycle or life cycle, to pay for those goods and services. This, this process pretty much is a standard process, exists on every organization, which we call procure to pay. So any goods services purchased by the organization. It, it, uh, it, it varies a little bit depending on what industry and so forth, but, but generally it's there. Now, what we find is, 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 is that an average, average Australian organization, this process can be phone calls raised by the, by the business saying, hey, I want to buy this and that uh, from, the, uh, from the supplier. You know, phone calls, emails exchange, you know, in, in order to buy these goods and services. And, and, and sort of generally speaking, we just find this manual nature of, of managing the overall purchasing process can, can lead into lots of issues, purchasing correct goods. You know, say we you know, wanted to buy a Coca-Cola can, but, but bottles were delivered, you know, disagreements on price. And just generally speaking, lots of really unnecessary sort of back and forth communication between the suppliers and the buyers to get this right. So that, generally speaking, equals reduced productivity, lack of visibility on the way that corporate dollar is spent, and it can ultimately be quite an expensive process to manage, frustrating process to a lot of organizations to manage. So what we do is we actually started off as a, as a consulting company, helping organizations identify what do they need to do to simplify and really take advantage of the technology that's out there to implement for their processes so that they can ultimately become more efficient they can stretch that corporate dollar. They can ma- make their pro- procurement departments very productive and, uh, and really get that transformed digitally. 
So effectively, what that means is delivering more for less, having less people in, in that expensive back office operation, automating these purchase to pay operations and, and ultimately um, increasing productivity, productivity of, the, of the organization. So basically, because you're ordering material all online, so it's all there in black and white, so it can't be disputed, so there can't be any problems. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's, I, I think that's, that's sort of the process element that we, we fix, absolutely. And, uh, and I look, there, there can be a lot of disagreements on what's been ordered, what's been, what's been, what's been delivered and so forth. And that is, that is a frustrating, frustrating process or, and, and very error-prone process, especially if you run that man, manually. So and if you kind of take a, take a step back and you think of a simple concept of ordering something, it's extremely simple today. You know, if, 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 if you were Leon ordering something out of eBay, it's not, it's not unnecessarily complex. You know, you jump onto a website and you, you place an order for you know, whatever you're buying, right? Amazon, eBay, you know, what have you. There's plenty of great portals out there that make this process really simple, right? And you don't need an instruction manual in order to do that, right? What we tend to find across organizations is that, uh, you know, through, through sort of a lots of legacy work and sort of old clunky ERP systems and the likes that are being used, the technology is not just there to make, you know, to realize the same simplicity as we get out of eBay today. And there is really no reason with today's technology that you couldn't do that. Most companies just don't know which way to, to go. So absolutely, you know, simplification of, of, of technology within this space is, 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 is what we do. But ultimately, you know, we start by first sort of mapping why the process is so complex and how do we simplify it so that we can use that new technology to, to transform it digitally. And massive, massive returns can be realized out of, out of just bringing that efficiency out. Well, you would have massive overhaul of procurement departments as a result of it, because they would need fewer people for a start. Yeah, look, I, th I think I, I, that's, a, that's a great point. You know, that, and that's, that's certainly the aspect we look at it, you know, from, a, uh, from an efficiency perspective. But if you think about it, you know, in, in today's climate, trying to earn an extra dollar as a revenue can be increasingly difficult, right? It can be really difficult. But what's, uh, what's a lot easier thing to do is look at where are you spending that corporate dollar and how can you m bring more efficiency out of it? So, so, you know, cost saving is certainly on the agenda of organizations and, and our clients that we, uh, we work with today. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that all, the, all the procurement overhead needs to go away. They, they certainly, within our clients, they've, they've certainly usually found, found a new place on, as part of the organization that needs to increase revenue. And, you know, focus on, focus on selling and in, improving the revenue lines rather than, rather than have massive overheads on you know, people sitting in procurement departments and managing stuff manually. That's not really something that should happen today with today's technology. But, uh, but it would also presuppose that the company needs to be totally across the technology as well. And do you have a lot of educating to do? Um, absolutely. I mean, majority of our time, you know, especially when we build business cases on where, you know, where should companies spend the money on, on imp improving the technology so that they get to this outcome, right? It's, 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 it, it very much our time is spent on building up that vision on what does good look like, how do we automate this process that really shouldn't involve this many people, uh, really should bring loads and loads of more visibility into that corporate spend. That, that's where we spend a lot of our time. Education is, is, uh, is, is a major element, absolutely. So basically you're transforming the company itself because the company is becoming much more technologically savvy as a result. 100%. I'd say that corporate technology can, be, can, can get complex over time. There's, there's always you know, lots, lots of old systems in place. There's, there's some new solutions in place. 
we obviously work on that on that modernization side and uh, and, and and certainly it, it does transform that you know as an as an example right if if we had a you know in, in the beginning of a corporate transformation we'd normally work on uh, establishing a bit of a base it means a sort of a a process where we identify and and and, and agree with the organization what's their average cost per transaction now what we tend to find is that that the average of of, of transaction within the procure-to-pay value cycle uh, today in Australia is about $25 per, uh, per transaction. So that could be a purchase or an invoice within that value, value chain. And, uh, and then through a transformation project, a business case could, could, could give you a $5 mark. So if we go from $25 to $5 and you process 100,000 to 500,000 invoices per annum, which is an average for our clients today, you know, it's, that's five to $7 million saved. And that's just on the process itself. This yet doesn't even take into account the added spend visibility and the ability to negotiate better deals and really kind of stretch your supply chain because it really is a buyer's market out there. So there's, there's some massive returns to be done on this. Excellent points. But a lot of large companies that you'd be dealing with would have legacy systems that wouldn't be across working with the technology that you're introducing. How much of a challenge do you find that? Look, there are certainly companies that, that, that we've, we've come across that have legacy systems that uh, are hard to integrate, are hard to amend, are hard to, I, I guess, improve. Generally speaking, when we sort of work with our technology partners within the procurator's pay space, they're usually platforms that sit outside of the, the company's ERP system. So we, we deliver a cloud-based budget to pay solution that then only really integrates with that with that legacy ERP system. This just makes the whole sort of cost of change management a lot more digestible within these business cases. Uh, a lot of the time, certainly to your point, we can't just go and start improving the ERP system. It might have been there for 10 years. It's already already very, very much tied into the corporate processes. What we tend to find is instead of trying to improve the, the existing technology, we rather implement something new and kind of rebuild that part of the process. The ERP certainly still owns the, the corporate core, core type of capabilities like payments and you know, P&L accounts and so forth. But that would be fairly challenging because you're actually changing over companies to a completely new technology. And, 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 I, and I, think, I think companies tend to look at this and, and, and sort of overcomplicate their things, things a lot of the time. We've, we've been doing this for, uh, for a number of years now. It is actually not as complex uh, as, it, as, it, as it kind of may sound like. If we are just taking the purchase to pay process outside of the ERP system and the, pay, you know, the, the, the resulting payments and the GL still sits in the ERP, it is, it is really a matter of, uh, of integration, technically speaking. So, and then from a change management perspective, people change, uh, that is. It actually simplifies this because, again, we're coming back to the concept of you know, eBay versus, you know, a very complex spreadsheet. Typically, it's a very complex spreadsheet today. It's a complex conversation between the buyer and the supplier. What we are bringing on and we're bringing a, an eBay or an Amazon type of user experience, you know, it's, it's not really comparable in that sense. And uh, it, it actually simplifies the overall process end-to-end -end, uh, significantly. Well, you, you're obviously simplifying the way companies are doing it and we'll be watching it with great fascination. And thank you very much, Jesse, for your time. Thanks, Liam. I appreciate it. And now let's hear from Indeed economist Callum Pickering. Callum, the unemployment rate is still 4.2%. What's your view about that? Well, it was an interesting set of uh, jobs figures because there was a lot of good in the release, employment increasing by uh, 12,900, the unemployment rate holding steady at 4.2. Uh, but I think the devil was in the detail. Um, we, we saw the, the impact of Omicron felt pretty heavily through the hours worked measure. 
which fell by 8.8%. Um, and there was a lot of people out of work on, on sick leave throughout the, the month. So while we can be very happy about the overall state of the labour market, it, it's clear that the labour market has also hit a bit of a, a road bump throughout the, the month of January. And that's a road bump that's likely to continue while case numbers remain somewhat high. Okay, so you can see it continuing uh, through the next month or so? Well, certainly while case numbers are sort of at where they are at the moment, you'd expect that there's going to be a, an impact on hours worked. So like I said, hours worked in January was down 8.8%, which was a, a pretty large decline. We'd expect hours worked to be better in February, but certainly not back to pre-Omicron numbers. So really the, 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 the caseload of the Omicron variant is going to determine what happens with hours worked over the next a uh, few months, and that's obviously going to play a big role in how the labour market evolves and how economic activity evolves as well. That would also play into areas like uh, wages growth. Yeah, potentially. I mean, trying to sort of look through what's happened with Omicron, the, the, the labour market overall has been very strong um, and the unemployment rate is very low and it's expected to decline further uh, over the first half of this year. So that will begin to put some pressure on wage growth in, in the near term. And actually, the, the Omicron variant could potentially fast-track that a little bit because with so many people out of work temporarily, you're going to have businesses looking to bring on staff to sort of deal with those those disruptions. And so that could potentially trigger some, some near-term uh, wage growth as well. So there's a lot of moving parts to what's going on at the moment. It's, it's quite a complicated situation. It's interesting because I mean, the Reserve Bank itself has said uh, we're going to have an unemployment figure with a three in front of it uh, sometime this year. Yeah, that's right. They're forecasting uh, three and three-quarter percent unemployment rate by the end of the year. I actually think we'll potentially get there before then. I think I wouldn't be surprised if we have an unemployment rate with a three in front of it by mid-year, such as being the, the strong demand for, for workers that we're seeing in job advertisements and, and job vacancy figures. So we're definitely heading towards an unemployment rate that we haven't seen for the best part of 50 years. So we are looking at a very tight labour market, and that will become abundantly clear uh, as these Omicron case numbers continue to decline. Okay, and of course, uh, we've got the issue of the RBA, which is, well, it's uh, signalled a, a, a rate rise is likely this year. I mean, I've noticed the Commonwealth Bank is talking about four rate rises this year. Yeah. Uh, what's your view about that? Well, I, I certainly think there's a lot of pressure on the Reserve Bank to make a move. Um, and a lot of the data that we are looking at suggests that they'd be justified in tightening the, the cash rate. That said, given that they are dealing with quite an uncertain economic environment due to the ongoing pandemic, it's understandable that they are being quite cautious. They, they, in an ideal situation, they want to see stronger wage growth before they pull the trigger. And, and so far, that hasn't been the case. Wage growth remains uh, relatively low. It's, it's no higher than it was before the pandemic began. Now, we expect that's going to change, but the question is, how quickly will that change? Um, and that will, to a, a large extent, um, determine the, the speed with which the RBA hikes. I think there's a possibility they could hike the cash rate by August, but I, I really don't see a, a plausible scenario where we'll see, say, four cash rate rises this year. The Reserve Bank is too cautious for that. Uh, I mean, but you've got inflation, which is, what, 3.5%, but that's, that's uh, also caused by supply shortages as well. Yeah, that's right. Inflation is elevated right now, and that's obviously a concern for the Reserve Bank, but a lot of it is being 
caused by supply chain disruptions abroad. So we're importing high inflation from, from overseas, whereas domestic sources of inflation, such as wage growth, remain relatively weak. Now, the, the problem the Reserve Bank has is that they can react to this high inflation from abroad, but raising the cash rate isn't going to have a big impact on them. And so it might be a bit of a, a futile effort on, on their behalf to try and rein in this high inflation due to supply chain factors. The Reserve Bank has a much greater control over domestic inflation factors. And so what they ultimately want to see is stronger inflation from those domestic factors. And that will be the impetus that causes them to, to want to raise the, the cash rate. But uh, that would come down to wages level, which is chances are this time around, uh, it'll be around uh, something like 2.5%, uh, which is still under the uh, 3% range, which is what the RBA is looking at. Yeah, that's right. Inflation is still relatively low and, and certainly much lower than it was the last time the unemployment rate got down to this low 4% range. If you cast your mind back to 2007, 2008, that was the last time we had an unemployment rate uh, this low. And, and wage growth got up to around 4%. So it's a very different environment from a, from a wage standpoint. Now, like I said before, though, we are looking at an unemployment rate that starts with a three, and we haven't seen that in close to five decades. So we are sort of heading into sort of uncharted territory with regards to uh, tightness in the labour market, and it is expected that that will trigger stronger wage growth. But the Reserve Bank is being very cautious around their forecasts for wages because they've been burnt in the past by being a little bit too optimistic about, about wage growth. They've consistently had to uh, revised down with their wage growth expectations for, for a number of years now. And so they are a little bit more cautious around that. But it will be interesting to see what happens as the unemployment rate does get down to levels that we don't typically see and whether that maybe changes the unemployment versus wage growth dynamics that we have you know, traditionally seen over the past decade or so. But where do you see wages travelling to this year? I mean, will it be... How high would they get? Well, I, I think 3% will still be quite difficult, just given how stubbornly low wage growth has been for a number of years. I, I think the key uncertainty for this is whether unions start to demand materially higher wages than they have in, in the recent past. So if we start to see minimum wage demands that are, you know, begin with a four, or, you know, various unions looking for higher reward higher award wages as well. That could potentially fast-track wage growth, but that's a that's a big uncertainty at the moment. I think that, you know, at, at some point, the, the competition for talent has to feed through to, to higher wage growth, and I, I do think there's a lot of scope for unions to be very aggressive in, in what they demand because I think this is a, a labour market that greatly favours the, the job seeker and the existing worker over Australian businesses. So I think they're in they're in control at the moment. And of course, uh, with inflation at about three and a half percent, you would expect unions would demands would be somewhere around the fours. Well, they'll certainly be looking to offset that. They they won't be happy with a situation where wages adjusted for inflation are in negative territory, and that's where we are right now. So the the longer inflation remains in that three point five percent range, it could potentially even go higher. That increases the likelihood that unions start to demand materially higher wage demands. So we could potentially see a situation where wage growth increases because of that higher inflation environment that we're currently in. Well, Callum, look, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Leon. So what's happening in the news? 
Well, global stocks tumbled and crude oil prices surged to $99 per barrel on Tuesday after Russia ordered troops into parts of eastern Ukraine. Wall Street also headed lower as traders returned from the holiday weekend. The Dow briefly dropped 700 points or 2% in late afternoon trading after recovering a bit. The S&P 500 was down 1.4% while the Nasdaq shed 1.6%. European market markets were volatile. The- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. FTSC 100 in London recovered from earlier losses to finish flat, while France's CAC 40 also was flat. Germany's DAX tumbled 0.3%. Russian stocks rebounded after crushing more than 10% Monday, and the ruble weakened against the dollar for the fourth consecutive trading session. Japan's Nikkei 225 fell 1.7%, while China's Shanghai Composite dropped 1%. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell 2.8%, its biggest daily loss in five months. In Australia, the S&P ASX 200 fell 1.1% to 7,150.8 after closing 0.2% higher in the previous session. Nickel rose to US $25,000 a tonne for the first time since 2011, extending a rally driven by dwindling global inventories and concerns that tensions over Ukraine could disrupt supplies from key producer Russia. And investors have shunned cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin as tensions between Russia and Ukraine have escalated and are instead seeking refuge in the more traditional safe haven of gold. Gold has benefited from the ratcheting up of tensions between Russia and Ukraine as skittish investors have sought out safe assets in which to park their cash. Investors have long viewed gold as a store of value in turbulent times which can often see the value of other investments slump. Gold has gained more than 5% this month easily outperforming bonds and equities. In trading last week, gold futures climbed above US $1,900 a troy ounce, their highest level in eight months. This has prompted some analysts to predict that gold is on track to beat its August 2020 record of more than $2,000. This marks a distinct change from earlier this year, where many analysts were tipping that the gold price would struggle in 2022, as rising US bond yields would dent the appeal of the precious metal, which, unlike bonds, doesn't provide investors with regular coupon payments. In contrast, the price of Bitcoin has been flat so far this month. 
Bitcoin is presently trading at just under US $39,000. What's more, the Bitcoin price, which climbed as high as US $45,855 just under a fortnight ago, has declined despite the growing geopolitical tensions. And with petrol prices at record highs and expectations of higher inflation, the ANZ Royal Mortgage Consumer Confidence Index, a pointer to future household spending, fell 1.4% despite the easing of COVID-19 restrictions in parts of the country and the reopening of international borders. The survey's inflation expectations index rose 0.1 percentage point to 5.1 percent, its highest level since December 2014. And Australia's recorded its fastest annual wage growth since before the pandemic. The Bureau of Statistics says base pay grew 2.3 percent. And Australia is welcoming travellers as the country reopens its borders for the first time in nearly two years. However, a sudden recovery seems unlikely given the turbulent climate in the travel industry. Global Data Tourism Demands and Flows database shows that in 2019, Australia received 9.5 million international visitors. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, this fell to just 2.1 million international visitors in 2020. Finally, after almost two years of near-total closure to tourists, most of the nation opened to fully vaccinated arrivals from overseas at midnight local time on February 21, 2022. While this is a step in the right direction, Australia's tourism industry still has a long way ahead before it can recover from the impacts of the pandemic. And Atlassian billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks and his business partner Brookfield say they have set aside $20 billion to transition AGL away from coal, vowing to continue to press their proposal with the energy giant's investors despite the company immediately knocking back their $8 billion bid. Mr Cannon-Brooks, whose private business Grok Ventures is a 20% stakeholder in the consortium with Canadian asset manager Brookfield, said he made no bonus that the play was about accelerating the world towards a zero-carbon economy. While the federal government remains concerned about the rapid-fire exit of coal from the national electricity system, the tech titan blamed the fossil fuel for recent volatility as old plants, including AGLs, near the end of their operating lives. In a statement to the Australian Stock Exchange, AGL said it had rejected the unsolicited preliminary offer of $7.50 a share, which offered a 4.7% premium on Friday's closing price of $7.16, including AGL's debt, the offer was in the range of $8 billion. The company said it was not in the best interest of shareholders. Speaking on Monday, Cannon Brooks said the consortium would continue to work on the potential takeover, which would involve Brookfield and Brock Ventures acquiring AGL's power generation and energy retail divisions, which include coal, gas and renewable energy generation assets. If successful, the new owners would aim to bring forward AGL's exit from coal-fired power. The pair said they could make AGL Energy have net zero emissions by 2035, 12 years earlier than AGL's plan. It would also hold a planned demerger that would have broken off the company's fossil fuel assets into a separate entity to be called Axel Energy. AGL's immediate rejection of the takeover bid on Monday followed Scott Morrison and Energy Minister Angus Taylor warning about a spike in electricity prices if the country's coal power fleet, including the company's major Bayswater and Loyang plants, shut earlier than expected. A higher proposal, if accepted by AGL, would place Mr Cannon Brooks and Brookfield on an election eve collision course with the Morrison government. The Morrison government has reserved the right to invoke energy supply concerns under a national interest test to potentially stop the bidders who have pledged to shut down coal-fired power about a decade earlier than planned. Mr Taylor says the bid to accelerate closures only compounds the risk of power shortages. And the profit reporting season continues. 
Coal sales rose 1% to $20.8 billion, while EBIT fell 4.4% to $975 million, and profit declined 2% to $549 million. Woolworths sales were up 8% to $31.9 billion, but EBIT was down 11% to $1.38 billion, and net profit declined 6.5% to $795 million. AUB Group reported underlying net profit after tax of $30.6 million for the half year, up 16.7% on the, on the prior corresponding period. Reported impact was $29.7 million, up 27.7%. Medical device business Nanosonics has posted a full-year net profit up 160% to $3.9 million on total revenue, up 36% to $60.6 million versus the prior half-year period. McMahon Holdings reported a revenue of $809.7 million in the first half of 2022 financial year, up 24% from the prior corresponding period. Underlying EBITDA rose 14% to $138.7 million. The company's underlying net profit after tax climbed 4% to $31.7 million. On a statutory basis, its profit fell 92% to $33.3 million. Cochlear's revenue increased 10% to $815 million. Underlying net profit rose 26% to $158 million, supported by a combination of strong sales growth and improved gross margin, with some benefit from lower-than-expected operating expenses. Statutory net profit was $169 million. Goldminer Regis Resources has reported an underlying net profit of $44 million on revenue up 18% to $488.8 million. Costa Group's total revenue rose 4.8% to $1.22 billion, while profit fell 22.6% to $52.2 million. G8 Education has reported a statutory net profit after tax of $45.7 million for calendar year 2021, compared to its net loss of $189 million in 2020. Judo Capital Holdings recorded a first half loss of $16.1 million because of IPO costs, with a 39% increase in operating to $99.4 million. Net interest margins was down 1.9% from 2.02% half on half and 2.73% on an underlying basis, up from 2.65% half on half. Chorus's revenue rose 1% to New Zealand $483 million, while net profit advanced 56% to New Zealand $42 million. A2 Milk's revenue dipped by 2.5% to New Zealand $660.5 million, while profit declined 50.3% to New Zealand $59.6 million. EBITDA slipped 45.3% to New Zealand $97.6 million. Bluescope's sales revenue soared 62% to $9.4 billion, while reported net profit climbed 398% to $1.6 billion, and underlying EBITDA rose 219% to $2.5 billion. Reliance Worldwide reported net profit after tax of $63.7 million for the six months ended December 31st, down 3% on the prior comparable period. Altium's revenue rose 27.8%, to US $102.2 million, while EBITDA advanced 28.9% to US $34.8 million, and net profit rose 37.7% to US $22.9 million. Maccas rose 80% to $841.1 million, while EBITDA firm 73% to $101 million. Net profit climbed 79% to $20.8 million. Ampol, the petrol station company, delivered an after-tax profit of $560 million for the 2021 calendar year, reversing a loss in the prior year after generating record levels of fuel sales. Lendlease's revenue dipped 12.4% to $4.6 billion, and it reported a $264 million loss, down from a $196 million profit in the same period a year ago. Super Retail delivered $110.8 million in statutory profit after tax, down 35.9% from the prior year, while sales edged 4% lower for the period. 
Cooper Energy sales and revenue increased 96% to $94.4 million. The company reported an underlying net loss after tax of $6 million compared to the $17.4 million loss reported a year earlier. Latitude Group Holdings' full year net profit increased 255% or 25% on a pro forma basis to $160 million on a 4.3% increase in volumes to $7.3 million. Silver Lake's revenue slid 3% to $307.6 million, while EBITDA dipped 2% to $157.6 million, and profit tumbled 32% to $44.5 million. Newix reported a $2.3 million loss after tax pro forma in the half year ending December 31, down 124.5% on the prior year. Endeavour Group has reported net profit after tax of $311 million for the half year into January, up 15.6% on the prior comparable period. Sonic Healthcare's revenue climbed 7.3% to $4.8 billion, while net profit climbed 22.1% to $835.3 million. Viva Energy's revenue rose 28.1% to $15.9 billion, while profit on a replacement cost basis firmed 473.7% to $191.6 million. NIB's revenue rose 7% to $1.4 billion, while profit climbed 25% to $81.4 million. Home internet challenger Aussie Broadband has swung to a net profit of $1.4 million on revenue up 46% to $229.3 million for the six months to December 31, 2021. Hello World's travel first half loss narrowed to $14 million from $14.9 million as revenue increased 45% to $40.3 million and total transaction value 60% to $694.3 million. Senex's underlying EBITDA rose 31% to $30.3 million, while its underlying net profit after tax was $22.1 million, up from $300,000. Group net profit before tax was $600,000, compared with a loss of $900,000 in the prior comparable period. GDI's revenue from ordinary activities rose $28.9 million, from $26 million a year ago. Funds from operations climbed to $15.4 million, up from $14.3 million a year ago. Tyro Payments EBITDA of $2.8 million was below expectations, down 39% in the prior corresponding period. Osminal's revenue rose by $753 million to $2.1 billion, while EBITDA climbed by $556.1 million to $1.16 billion. Net profit rose by $318 million to $530.7 million. Selfwell's net loss has widened to $2.4 million, compared with $432,790 in the prior corresponding half-year period. Unity Group first half revenue increased 98.4% to $109.5 million, and underlying pre-tax profit hit $58.4 million, up 137% from $24.7 million in the period of record earnings of $70.5 million. Virtus Health's revenue rose 1% to $171.3 million, while EBITDA dropped 35.7% to $37.9 million, and profit slid 49.5% to $15.1 million. Internet connectivity business Superloop has narrowed its first-half FY 2022 net loss to $21.3 million versus $18.9 million in the prior half-year period. Consumer finance and buy-now-pay-later player Hum Group has posted a cash profit of $27.8 million for the six months to December 31st versus $44.2 million in the prior corresponding period. SDA Health reported net loss of $8.1 million. Macquarie Telecom's net profit decreased 48% to $3.7 million. 
Jumbo Interactive's revenue rose 29% to $52.8 million, while underlying EBITDA climbed 18% to $28.3 million, and underlying NPAT rose 18% to $16.5 million. Illumina grew net profits after tax by a quarter for the full 2021 calendar year to US $187.6 million, that's Aussie $260.9 million. Wispbeard has posted record half-year revenue of $39.4 million, up 70.4% over the prior corresponding period. Mining Royalties business Deterra has nearly doubled its net profit to $61.7 million on royalty revenues of $92.8 million for the half-year to December 31, 2021. Monodelphus reported a drop in statutory net profit, including the reversal of $6 million research and development tax incentive provision in the previous period. Excluding this reversal, interim net profit was up almost 18%, and earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation rose almost 7% to $60.9 million. Meridian Energy reported net profit after tax of $145 million from continuing operations for the six months ended December 31, 2021, $82 million or 36% lower than the same period last year. Pilbara Minerals revenue soared 393.6% to $291.7 million, a record for the company, while profits soared to $114 million, rebounding from a $21.2 million loss in the first half of last year. Romelius Resources revenue from ordinary activities fell 9% in the half year to $310.1 million, while EBITDA dropped 3% to $187.7 million. EBIT was down 10% to $106.3 million. The company's net profit after tax fell 10% to $73.4 million. Mount Gibson Iron reported a net loss after tax of $65.6 million for the half year ended 31st of December 2021 on total iron ore sales of $0.7 million wet met, wet metric tonnes. Perseus Mining's revenue rose 90% to $545.7 million, while EBITDA climbed 101% to $252.4 million, and net profits soared 159% to $126.9 million. Domino Pizza Enterprises' first half revenue increased 10.2% to $1.21 billion, and net profit fell 6.9% to $89.1 million. PSI Insurance reported a 28% increase in underlying revenue to $119.7 million and a 42% increase in underlying earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation to $40.7 million in the half year to December 31st. Footwear retailer Accent Group has posted a half-year net profit down 72% to $14.8 million on sales up 12.2% to $536.5 million for the six months to December 31st, 2021. Macmillan Shakespeare's revenue rose 25.8% to $311.6 million, while net profit rose 18.1% to $30.1 million. Underlying net profit was down 6.5% to $40 million. Regis Healthcare reported net profit after tax before amortisation of, of operational places of $10.6 million for the half year ended 31st December 2021. Net profits for mining group Santa Barbara fell 62% to $13.9 million, and revenue in ease 9% lower to $325.6 million. WiseTech Global's revenues rose 18% to $281 million, while statutory net profits soared 74% to $77.4 million. Underlying net profit firm 77% to $77.3 million. Fund manager Australian Ethical Investments has posted a net profit up 3% to $5.5 million, on revenue up 35% to $35.2 million for the six months of December 31. Carbon Revolution reported first half revenue of $17.6 million, up 2.3% on the prior corresponding period. Underlying revenue increased by 39%. The company's net loss after tax for the half year was $21.8 million, compared to $14.8 million in the prior corresponding period. Stockland's revenue climbed 0.5% to $1.88 million, while net profit soared 149.1% to $837 million.
real estate investment trust center group posted operating profits of 10.8% to $845.8 million in the full calendar year of 2021. APA Group reported a net profit of $155.6 million, rebounding from a $15.5 million loss a year ago. HT&E's net profit before tax climbed from $18.5 million to $32.6 million. Net profit after tax for integral diagnostics fell 48.7% to $10.2 million for the period, while revenues inched 5.7% higher to $181.5 million. Bumpers Australia reported first half EBITDA profit of $1.2 million and record gross revenue of $38.5 million, up 73% in the prior corresponding period. Wally, the engineering company active in the energy industry, grew net profits after tax for the financial half year 90% to $114 million. Propel Funeral Partners Pro former Operating net profit after tax was up 30.4% to $7.8 million. Sydney Airport reported a loss of $266.9 million for the year. Universal Stores reported a decline in gross profit to $61.2 million from $67.9 million for the first half of 2022. Servcore's net profit before tax was $16 million for the first half of 2022 financial year. And Saturday net profit after tax was $13.3 million. Helios's revenue rose 44.2% to $1.34 billion, while Profit climbed 271.3% to $233.2 million. 29 Metals full year revenue increased 38% to $600.8 million and reported net profit of $121 million. McPherson's reported a 7% increase in sales revenue to $108.8 million in the first half and underlying profit before tax of $6.7 million. Karoon Energy reported a statutory net loss after tax of US $9.7 million. Schaefer Corporation announced profit after tax of $6.5 million for the first half. Liquor Podium generated revenue of $102.4 million and net profit after tax of $115.3 million for the six months ended December 31st, up 71% and 6.3% respectively. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Lambros Photios, founder of Australian software development company Station 5 who's warning Australian universities are failing to keep pace with advances in the IT industry, fueling a growing skill shortage in the sector. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about his assessment of the profit reporting season so far. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. 
Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.